I want to invite us at, at the beginning of this lesson to just imagine the sheer enormity of what is asked of Jesus' disciples in, in the immediate period of time after his death. Because if we aren't careful, I think it becomes easy to, to sort of undersell the difficulty of the situation that the disciples find themselves in. I mean, the, the man that they have been following at the cost of, of everything in their lives, the man that they have given up everything to follow, has now been put to death by the most painful, the most gruesome, and the most publicly humiliating form of state execution. And, and I think in our thoughts and, and words, we often don't allow them really any time to, to wrestle with that, to grapple with it, to, to come to grips with, with what that means and, and what that means for what Jesus has been teaching and the ways that he has been leading them and, and everything else wrapped up in that. And in a statement that could be read as, as self-critical, but one that I think is instead just sort of reflective and, and honest, John tells us that the disciples still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And it's no surprise then that on the evening of the day of Jesus' resurrection, we find the disciples huddled together in fear. They're scared, they're worried, they're probably confused, maybe even mad. And so here's what John tells us about that night. This is going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to pick up in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Of course, much has been made of, of Thomas's perceived doubt in this story. But let me mention that, that back in John 11, John points out that Thomas is seemingly ready to die with Jesus if that's where all of this is headed. And he even encourages the rest of the disciples to go and die with him. That's back in John 11 if you want to read that later on. But Thomas seems to be all in. 
And Thomas is also not asking for anything that the rest of the, 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 rest of the disciples didn't get themselves. When Thomas appeared to the rest of them, Jesus showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then they, they go and they, they tell Thomas, who wasn't with them, we have seen the Lord. Their belief seems just as tied to sight as Thomas's, at least as, as what he is asking for. Thomas just gets singled out as doubting because he wasn't there. Maybe he was social distancing, we don't know, but for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there with the rest of them. And so, yeah, maybe Thomas had his doubts. Or maybe he simply won't allow himself to believe because he knows the ramifications involved with that. He knows what is at stake. Maybe Thomas was, was so invested in Jesus that, that just a couple of days after his death, he still doesn't know what to make of, of everything that has happened. And, and to believe all of this would require a, a level of vulnerability that Thomas just can't get to yet. What if Thomas wants to believe so badly that the only way he will allow himself to emotionally get there is to see it for himself, just as the others did. Because if this is, is true, if Jesus really has come back, then nothing will ever be the same again. Everything will have new meaning and purpose and direction, and Thomas, like the rest of the disciples, will be thrust into a new normal, a new reality built on a resurrected Messiah whose, whose words and whose actions and whose teachings are finally all starting to make sense and to fall into place. And perhaps we can hear or, or imagine Thomas's internal dialogue as he, he flails away at the fog of, of uncertainty that is settling in in his mind, grasping for any sort of clarity that is, that is clouded by, by questions and, and unknowns. Why wasn't I there? He might have asked himself. Man, I, I should have been there, and, and now I've missed my chance to see for myself. But what if? What if all of this is true? What if death is not the end? Would that mean that they were not victorious and that Christ did not lose? Would that mean that there is still hope for us? Would that mean that I have not given up everything in my life in vain? Would it mean that there is hope for me? I feel like there is, but, but allowing myself to believe is just... It's just too much to bear. I'm going to need I'm going to need to see those scars first. I think Thomas's story 
invites us to ask some questions of ourselves. Some questions about how we respond to the resurrection of Jesus in our own lives, but, but some questions just in general about what do we do when we are, are standing at the edge and the verge of a new normal. What do we do when we're confronted with, with information or, or circumstances or stories that, that push against our current paradigm and lead us to the precipice of, of new belief and challenge us to consider far-reaching possibilities? I'm going to guess that not many of us have stood at the edge of such a cliff without at least a small amount of fear or trepidation. The birth of a child, the loss of a loved one, a divorce, a sudden move to a different part of the country. These and, and many more moments all have the potential to cause a paradigm shift within us. They push us toward a new normal. And when that happens circumstantially, we, we can't deny that it's happening. When the new baby is, is there staring us in the face, when the new house is, is empty but full of, of possibility, when the funeral imagery is, is seared into our minds and our souls, we can't deny it. It happened. And so now we, we are left to wrestle with, with how we live and exist and operate in this new reality. We either navigate this new reality well or spend time incredibly frustrated, angry, or depressed. But here Thomas sits, confused and, and uncertain because he still has not been able to see he hasn't yet had that visceral moment when, when the weight and the reality and, and the realness and the vividness of everything just comes crashing over him. And then there are times when cerebrally we, we are pushed toward a new or different understanding of the world. When something that, that was once black and white now becomes not only shaded with gray, but but is illuminated with a wide array of color. A deeply held thought or belief that, that we allow to be conversation partners with a new perspective can, can shake us to our core and, and cause us to wrestle with our own perceptions, to wrestle with scripture in new ways, to, to think about our activity in the world and the ways in which we see those who think, believe, act, or love differently than we do. And so here sits Thomas. Knowing in, in his mind and in his thoughts that, that if, this, if this is all true, then, then man, my whole concept of, of God is going to be uprooted and is going to have to be reconstructed. So how do we respond in those times? How will Thomas respond? A week passes for Thomas. That had to be a long week. <laughs> That's a lot to go through for a week. 
And so let's pick up the story again, right where we left off earlier, in John 20, picking up in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, some translations will, will translate this as Thomas answered him or Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. If you have your Bible with you, if, you, if you're following along with us in your own Bible, look at the ways, look at the ways in which those two accounts mirror each other. Each time they're in the same house, in the same room with the doors locked. Each time Jesus comes in and begins with the same proclamation and, and message, one that is probably a good one to share with people if you come into a room as a resurrected being when the doors are locked and there's no way to get in. He says, peace be with you. You've got to speak some calmness and some peace into the situation first. The first time he follows up that brief message by showing the disciples his hands and his feet. And, and then the second time, he offers the same opportunity to Thomas. But the parallels are, are broken when we get to the responses of the disciples in each account. In the first account, remember, the disciples were overjoyed. They were glad and they rejoiced, which is good. But Thomas's response is a little different. And I would say probably seems to carry more, more weight and substance. And remember I said as, as I was reading through the scripture that other translations say that Thomas answered him or Thomas responded. The NIV that I was reading said Thomas told him, others say Thomas said. And the differences in those may, may seem insignificant, perhaps they are. But, but I think there's something for us to see there. The word that is used there in the Greek implies a response to something or someone. And so, like, I can tell you something, I can say something to you without that being prompted by anything that you say or do. But Thomas's words in verse 28 are his response or his answer to Jesus' invitation to reach out and touch. And remember, that's exactly what Thomas himself said that he needed in order to believe. And so, when Jesus arrives, unprompted in the moment by Thomas, Jesus offers him the opportunity to do just that, to reach out and to touch. But Thomas's response to that invitation is not to reach out and touch, at least as far as we are told. Thomas's answer, Thomas's response to Jesus is simply to say, my Lord and my God. 
For Thomas, the new normal has just come washing over him. Nothing will ever be the same again. And his response to that is one of the greatest confessions of faith that we have in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. This morning, I want to invite us to consider a couple of things in, in relation to this story. The first of which is, is connected to our current context and situation, and, and then the second of which is, is tied back to Jesus and, and Thomas and the story that we've been looking at. So first of all, we find ourselves at the edge of our own new normal. Uh, I know for many, normal now seems to be quite a ways off, both as we look backward and as we look forward. And as we look forward, there will be voices imploring us to return to life as normal and pretend like none of this ever happened. And they may not say it that directly, though some will, but it's what will be asked of us in, in messaging and other things that we hear. And I'm not even talking about when businesses should reopen or how, how quickly we open back up or things like that. I'm simply talking about the ways in which we view and think about normal or what it is that we are wanting to get back to. And, and believe me, I, I recognize that there are pieces of normalcy that all of us, myself included, long to see return, want to see return, and in some cases need to see return. But if we allow ourselves to look, our distance from what we knew as normal will reveal what, what I think are, are cracks and, and fault lines in the version of normal that we were holding on to. They, they were always there, but nothing had quite pushed them to the surface in, in the ways that a global pandemic is able to do. Nothing was able to pull us away from everything so completely that they became so obvious. We've come, I think, to a startling realization of our interconnectivity. We've come to recognize our, our dependence on each other and the corresponding responsibility that we have to ensure care and provision for those around us. Large gatherings of people that we might have taken for granted or that some of us might have even found burdensome at times now seem like privilege and luxury. And not the type of luxury that is defined by, by unnecessary excess, but the type of luxury that adds Richness and, and depth and gratification to life in ways that no screen can ever fully replicate. We've seen the value of, of pursuing opportunities and gestures of kindness that previously we might have neglected because of, of their seeming insignificance or because of our own real or perceived busyness or routines or schedules. And once more, when we are able to come out of all of this, we too will be able to see the scars. 
The places where, where families and lives have, have been riven will be visible. And I don't want to borrow too much from, from the imagery of, of the resurrected Jesus and his body. But I do think that we will emerge with scars. The strains in, in our structures and, and institutions will be more visible than ever. And we will be challenged to consider how we will respond. What will our answer be? Will we recognize the dawn of our own new normal? Will we recognize this as an opportunity for, for the words that are included here on our poster, for new life and a new beginning? As we've been saying, this, this imagery of, of resurrection may take on new and important meaning and, and depth and significance for us. And so will we allow ourselves time now in, in this moment to ponder what a new normal may look like as individuals, as families, and as a church? Will, will we consider the things that we can carry with us from here that that will influence what we value and, and what we prioritize and, and the ways in which we pursue and appreciate relationships and community. And we're going to return to, to that conversation for at least part of our midweek podcast this week. And so if you want to pick up more of that with us in, in some conversational forms this way, if you're interested in, in more of that topic, you can listen to that podcast beginning uh, on Wednesday but now for this morning, let's return again to the image of Thomas and Jesus as we close. Thomas's declaration of, of Christ as his Lord and his God seems to signify a new level of clarity for Thomas. And perhaps you have had moments of, of clarity of your own about the message, story, and resurrection of Jesus that have led to similar responses or answers or moments. Or perhaps you connect with, with Thomas's yearning and, and longing to believe. Perhaps you connect with his doubts and with his questions. Or maybe, maybe you thought you knew what you needed in order to believe, only to be swept up in, in the compelling message of Jesus in unexpected ways that, that left you with nothing left to say except my Lord and my God. Or maybe you desperately want that moment, but, but it hasn't come yet. Maybe you find yourself like Thomas, wishing that you could experience things like others around you have, and, and, and you just look at, at, at the clarity that others seem to have and think, I want, I want what they have, but it hasn't come for you quite yet. Jesus will go on to tell Thomas that, that while he believed because he saw, those who believe without seeing are truly blessed. And that's, that's you, that's, that's me. He's talking about us. We are the ones who cannot see the scars of the physically resurrected Jesus, which means that we may find our moments of clarity in unexpected places, and unexpected times over the courses over the course of our lives. And we will surely come to those moments at, at different 
points in our journey by different means and through different experiences. And when we do, may we be open to the ways in which Jesus extends an invitation to us, just as he did to Thomas. And may we have the strength and the faith and the confidence in Christ to walk forward in those moments of, of newfound faith and in this moment of our own new normal, carrying with us the, the message and the love and the grace of Jesus. Each Sunday in our time of communion, we are reminded of, of the invitation that Jesus extends to each of us to join him at the table. To join him in this, this table and this meal of, of love, of grace. To join in this meal as we remember Jesus in his life, his teachings, his ministry, his death and his resurrection. And as we remember the opportunity that we have in all of those things for new life and to be made new in Jesus. And so this morning, we invite you to, to share in a time of communion, of meditation, as we think about and remember Jesus, and as we consider the ways that he is prompting and inviting us forward into our own individual and collective new normals, full of grace, of love, and of hope. And so would you pray our prayer of confession with me now, and then join us in a time of communion, of prayer, and meditation. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen.